Hi friends, this is Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to the Unchained Gospel Podcast, where we let the lion out of its cage in order to set the captives free from theirs. As a quick summary of what we've looked at so far in the book of Colossians, for those of you that haven't been here, uh, the very first week we talked about the fruitfulness that comes from Jesus Christ and comes from the implanted word and how the gospel spreads like wildfire, even in the midst of tribulation and trials. And God calls us to go out and plant the seed and to bear much fruit. And he's the one that brings the increase. We are just called to plant, 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 water, water, water. And Jesus takes care of the rest. And uh, after that, we looked at how Jesus Christ is the ruler and authority and the supremacy over all things. He created it. He sustains it. And just because he's come down to be intimate with us and to come and dwell inside of us, it doesn't mean that he's given up his right to rule on this earth and in our own lives. And we are called to live under his authority then. And then once we've seen that, we've seen what Jesus Christ who he really is, not just our friend and our buddy, but the God, the creator God who's been there since before the worlds were formed and was actually the one who created everything. Uh, we see the mission and how he came and made peace between a sinful people and a holy God. And then he's imparted to us the ministry that he left when he ascended into heaven. And he said, now you go and do it. You go and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And, uh, that, you know, that comes with suffering. We talked about that a little bit, about how we can encounter trials, and it's through those trials that the glory of God shines through us. It's nothing of ourselves. Uh, and then we moved on and we looked at the importance of not allowing our belief and our, our childlike faith to be derailed by worldly logic and wisdom that is temporary. You know, we place our faith in something that was created before the foundation of the world or that was existed from before the foundation of the world. How can we allow this temporal world to knock us off course of where our faith is? So, uh, and then we looked at the liberty that's available to us in Jesus Christ, how he set us free from following uh, the list of the ordinances that were laid out for God's people in the Old Testament. And we now follow Jesus Christ and put our faith in him and he keeps the law on our behalf, and he enables us to keep God's perfect law. And then in uh, two weeks ago, we looked at how it's important that we always set our mind on our e eternity and our identity with Christ in the heavenlies. And what that then does is it actually allows us to purify ourselves and to live like Christ on this earth, which is what he's intended for us and what he's called us to do is to be his representatives to a lost world. Uh, and then last week we looked at what it means to be a servant to Christ and how that looks not only in the public relationships that we have at work, uh, per se, but in our intimate relationships, our, our marriages, our, our families, how we submit to one another as unto the Lord. And we don't do it just to gain brownie points. We do it from a pure heart. It says we don't just do it to please people. We serve people as we would be serving Christ because he ultimately came to serve on our behalf. Um, so that's where we left off. And that was, that's kind of a brief summary of the book of Colossians as we've looked at it. And then he picks up in verse two here and he says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. 
Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So Paul's going to transition and start to kind of wrap up his thoughts here. And he starts to give some final instructions as he's typically, as he typically does in his letters. And as you would probably do if you were writing an email or writing a letter, you sum up your thoughts and then you say, you know, hope to, I can't wait to see you again, blah, 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 blah. And you kind of do your nice courtesy things that you do. Paul does that at the end of all of his letters, but there's always a encouragement to stay steadfast because he knows what the world throws at us and he's in the midst of it right now he's in prison and it's easy for us to forget when we read these high things that he's writing about in the book of colossians that he's sitting in a prison cell or at least in house arrest unable to go anywhere under roman guard and he's saying things like god is moving mightily and the gospel is spreading even though he's just sitting there you know it's kind of interesting to think about and it's important that we not forget this he says continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And what we're going to look at tonight is God's purpose for each one of us and how sometimes God's purpose for each one of us may not be what we intended for our lives. It may not, necess- it may not, not necessarily fit our plan. You know, when we were 12 years old and we said, I'm going to go to this college and I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to be an astronaut and I'm going to be all these things. And then when you're 31, like me, and you go, well, that's not really what I thought was going to happen in my life. So was I wrong? Was God wrong? Were we both wrong? You know, we start to question the things as they happen around us that God, how can this fit into your purpose? Because you promised that you had a purpose for me. And you said that everyone who is your chosen uh, child, that you are working things together for my good. And, and to fulfill the purpose that you intended for me. And Paul even says, you know, I haven't even laid hold of the very thing that I know Christ laid hold of me to do. You know, he hasn't quite gotten there yet. And this is Paul, the person we idolize. And it's really interesting because he talks about praying and he says, would you pray for me, pray for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So this great uh, apostle this great theologian, the one who gave us nearly half the New Testament is saying, can you pray so that when I teach the word, I do it well? We would think that he would be able to do this in his sleep. You know what I mean? Like this is Paul, the apostle. And he's asking the saints of Christ, just the regular people who he actually led to the Lord to pray for him so that he could continue to do the things that God had called him to do in spite of his chains because he was in bondage to, for doing the very thing that he was asking them strength to do, to pray for that. And I find it really interesting is that we oftentimes want to know what God's purpose is for our life. Or when we're in a trial, we want to know, God, why is this happening right now? But we forget the very thing that Paul encourages them to do, which is to continue earnestly in prayer. We pray, but it's like a, all right, God, get me out of this. Amen, see you at lunch. You know, it's, it's, we start to kind of get like this wedge between us and God. We allow the trial or the circumstance to drive a wedge to, uh, between us and God rather than driving us to God to find out his purpose in these things. Why am I in this prison, whether it's my job or whether it's this relationship that will not be reconciled, this prison that I feel like I'm in on this earth, 
Why is this happening? The only way that you can have any enlightenment in those situations is to go to the Lord in prayer. In or, we won't find God's purpose for our lives until we start praying with purpose. Until we start hitting our knees earnestly, fervently, crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, give me strength for today. I know you gave me strength yesterday, but I need it again today because there's a whole new crop of problems that I have to deal with. There's a whole new set of circumstances that I'm going to be slapped in the face with when I put my feet next to my bed and I stand up for the day and I have to go out and face it. We seek the Lord earnestly. We continue. And when we pray, we pray, God, open a door. You know, open a window, whatever it may be. Whatever the circumstance that we're in, oftentimes we allow those circumstances, you know, if, if something goes wrong in our life, we're like, oh, God, shut that door. Maybe he did, but maybe God is calling us to push through that door. Maybe it's not God closing the door. Maybe it's life, just bad stuff. It's a wicked world. Things happen. It's not always divine intervention in the sense where it's like, okay, this didn't work out for me, so therefore it must not be what I'm supposed to do. If that was true, then Paul never would have done anything. We wouldn't have half the New Testament if every time we hit a roadblock, we said that must be not okay and must not be God's will for my life. Paul knew what God's will was, and every obstacle he hit, he pushed through it and said, I'm going to keep going. So it's really interesting. We see in Philippians 1, uh, Philippians 1, Paul says, uh, he talks about being in change. These, these epistles were written around the same time, Philippians, Colossians. And he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the fervor, furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So if Paul was the person who led you to the Lord and Paul is thrown in prison for doing the very thing he was asking you to do too as a new disciple, right? Go and preach the gospel. If it was me, I would start to have some trepidation about this. You know, I, I would not feel comfortable continuing on in the same thing that I know for a fact will get me arrested. You know, it, let's be honest. But he says they've become more confident by my chains to speak the word with more boldness. So what most people would look at as a hindrance, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles getting thrown in prison. Oh no, how's the word going to get to the Gentiles? He says, no, me being in chains has caused the other saints to rise up because they're not just relying on me to do it. It's the spirit of God in them doing it, spreading. And it's actually caused the furtherance of the gospel. It's astounding. And uh, he says in Colossians, as he moves on, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Literally, the word there, it's the same idea when it says that it's it's not good for anything but to be cast out, the salt that loses its flavor. It, it's the same Greek word that casting out, the outcasts essentially. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outcasts, those who are on the outside, those who are not in, on the in crowd with Jesus as, essentially. They, they haven't come to faith, they're Gentiles or they're Jewish non-believers. And he says... Walk with wisdom. Let your speech always be with grace. We're really smart 
when it comes to what we think people should be doing and what they're not doing. That's where our wisdom tends to shine. But our speech is very rarely with grace in those circumstances. Like, let me tell you how God wants you to live. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit through his word to convict them of sin and turn them from their unrighteous life. We're quick to speak a word that is to cut, but slow to speak a word with grace. And he says to speak seasoned with salt. Now, it's interesting because oftentimes we think, people are like, hey, where's the grace? You're supposed to have grace. And they mean grace as you should be okay with whatever I'm doing. But Paul is very quick to say seasoned with salt. He doesn't say seasoned with sugar or seasoned with uh, high fructose corn syrup. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we can be so afraid to speak truth in love and with wisdom that it's all grace and it's sugar-coated nonsense, essentially. It's, there's nothing that entices people and says, ooh, that has some flavor to it. That has, that's caused me to thirst more. If you know what it's like to eat something salty, it drives you to thirst, which is, you know, Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And he says, if the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out to be outcast and trampled under the foot of men. And Paul is encouraging these saints saying, be wise about how you are walking among those who are not believers. Because it's very, we're under scrutiny as Christians. Everybody's looking to us to see how we behave when we're in chains, when we are shackled to a trial or shackled to some bondage of life. And the world is watching and waiting. And it's interesting because as Paul was in the prison, it says in Acts uh, 16, when he was in, in the Philippian jail, they were, it was about midnight and him and Silas are in the stocks. And it says they were singing hymns to the Lord. And it says, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were paying attention to how Paul and Silas were behaving while they were chained in prison. So that tells me that the world is watching and waiting for the sons and daughters of God to trip and stumble so they can say, aha, what have you got that I ain't got? Courage. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, what is it that the saints have? It's the life of God, the spirit of God, and the glory of God. And God has called us to radiate that. So... He's encouraging them, don't allow the times that we're in, the trials that we're in, to change how you act and to prevent you or to close the door on what God wants to do in the midst of that circumstance. Um, I think oftentimes we forget, because we say things, and, and I understand what we mean, and I'm, I'm not trying to put blame on anybody but we say things like this isn't this is a bad thing that's happening so it couldn't be from the Lord and we have to be careful because we start to say like God's only going to give us like birthday cakes and puppies and anything that's not birthday cakes and puppies must be evil so then we run away from those things and say God why is this happening to me I, I think we, you could ask Paul this question 
and I think you'd be shocked at the answer. Would God purposely, and you can ask yourselves this, I'm asking myself this, would God purposely put you in a position to suffer if it led to the salvation of lost souls? Because when people say things like, well, God only intends good for you, he does, but what's our definition of good versus what's God's definition of good? Is it temporal, temporal goodness, good feelingness, or is it eternal goodness? meaning the salvation of lost souls at the expense of Paul's freedom. Because that's what God's purpose was for Paul. And, and Jesus appeared to Ananias and said, go to Paul because I have revealed to him the things he must suffer on account of me. So we often want to rewrite Romans 8.28 when it says that all things work together for good for those who are who love God and are called according to his what? His purpose. We want to rewrite that verse and say, all good things work together. And God's good purpose is only good in my life at all times. Right? I mean, that's kind of how we interpret it sometimes. Not intentionally. Not because we intend to misrepresent what the Bible says. But we... We can't fathom that God would do something that seems like a hindrance in our lives to actually push us further. We talked about it in church this morning, what Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to suffer at the hands of sinful men, but he was willing to lay that aside. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, meaning there was something on the other side of the cross that he was really looking forward to. And he, was just, he despised the shame. All that stuff, the mockery, the, the spitting, and the, the being stripped naked and hung on a cross. He, he put that aside. He's like, Psh, that's nothing. I'm going to ascend and sit at the right hand of God, and I'm going to save the world. He was willing to endure that temporary discomfort, or, you know, as we see it. And we know in, in the 10 verses before Romans 8, 28, it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So ask yourself that question. It's very important that we do because I think that when we attribute to God only the benefits and not his authority and sovereignty over how our lives should go, even if it's an uncomfortable situation, when we say that that's not from God, Whenever that stuff happens, it actually, rather than driving us to God, it causes us to doubt God even more. Nice jam. Sorry. I like that song. Uh, um, here's a little, uh, a little statement to remember. God's predetermined purpose always overrides my personal preference. Say that five times fast. God's predetermined purpose always overrides my personal preference. So if I say, well, Lord, I really thought that, or I would rather this, God's like, okay, cool. We're going to go ahead and do it my way. <laughs> you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't yield to, ah, I don't really think that this is how you want my life to go, or this isn't how I intended my life to go. So it's very important that we remember that. And it comes back to what Paul said, which is praying earnestly. Because unless you're communicating with the Lord, you cannot find out what his will is in the midst of these trials. And now he's going to transition and really just 
describe a bunch of saints that are around him. And what's really interesting is that the only reason Paul knows these things or knows these people is that their relationships are defined by a common purpose. They're all running by Linda. They're all running the same race. They're all running together. And that's Paul's relationships are defined by that. He says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose. There's that word again. That he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With an Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. He was from Colossae. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Our Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So we see these people, Tychicus, Onesimus, and Aristarchus, and Mark. Tychicus, his name means faithful, faithful or chance, by chance. He is mentioned along with Paul as one of his companions in Ephesians 6, Acts 20, here in Colossians, Titus 3, 2 Timothy 4. He was with Paul in Acts 20 when he left Ephesus, and he was with Paul at the end of his life, at the end of 2 Timothy, where most scholars believe was Paul's salutation, saying goodbye as he was about to be uh, persecuted, martyred. Onesimus is a great story. If you want to find out about Onesimus, read the book of Philemon. It's only one chapter, and his name means profitable or useful. There's a great verse in Philemon. I want to read it to you. It's it's only read this way in the New King James, but I kind of like it. Other translations read it in a different way. But for the purposes of what we're talking about tonight, I find it really cool. Onesimus was a slave under Philemon. And he owed Philemon a debt that he could not pay. And he ran away. And Philemon was left holding the purse, essentially, uh, with an unpaid debt. And he was furious with this man, Onesimus. Onesimus happens upon Paul while he's in chains. Whether Onesimus fled and and committed crimes further and was in, in prison and that's how he met Paul, we're not sure. But he sends Onesimus back with this letter to the Colossian church. Onesimus is taking this letter that we're reading along with a letter to Philemon, his former master. And he says, I'm sending you back. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. I wish to keep him with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by my compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Listen to this. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Some people believe that Onesimus was actually related to Philemon. And he says, you're not going to receive him back and put him back into servitude. You're going to receive him as a Christian brother. And you would say, Onesimus committed sin, which he did. You would say Philemon was wrong, which he was. And Paul has the gall to say that Maybe the purpose behind all of this was so that he would meet me in prison and become a Christian so you could receive him back again. Not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So how can we say that God does not work even in the dark times? How can we say that God does not work even in things that are not pleasing to us? He does. He orchestrates all things 
for his glory and the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see the difference there? It's not all good things. It's all things working together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You have to be in subjection underneath the purpose of God. If God's purpose is not your priority, then you're going to chafe against these trials and these things that happen to you because you're going to say, wait a minute, God, what are you doing? But again, we have to remind ourselves, God's predetermined purpose overrides our personal preference. The other thing, I like alliteration, so you have to forgive me. Praying with purpose reveals my pettiness and prerogative. When we pray earnestly and we seek the Lord, we can find out, wow, there's a lot of in, lots that's still in me that is seeking my own good, not the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we read that verse, Romans 8, 28, and we put it in our own life, and it only applies to us. But it says, all things work together for the good for those who love God. All the saints and those that are called according to his purpose. God's divine purpose for all mankind, all the saints. So when things are self-seeking, we, we lose sight of God's purpose for mankind. So let's finish up here. I know it's getting dark. I apologize. Another, uh, real quick, another interesting thing is Mark. If you know the story of Mark, he left. He was on a missionary trip with Barnabas and Paul, and he booked it out of there. He didn't follow through. So much so that Barnabas, was, who was his cousin, wanted to bring him back and say, hey, or his nephew or his uncle, I forget which relationship. Uh, he said, hey, let's bring Mark along. And Paul was like, no way. He bailed on us. We can't have this guy. Mark, okay, he failed, essentially. He, his failure caused the division of Paul and Barnabas. But what happened? Paul and Silas went one way. Barnabas and John Mark went the other way and the word of God spread further than it would have with just the two men. So again, is the hardship in your life hindering the gospel or is it furthering the gospel? And Jesus, who is called justice, <clears throat> these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. We know Luke. He wrote the other half of the New Testament, essentially. God called him as a Gentile to research the claims of Jesus and his followers. And he gave us, Luke became a believer, gave us the book of Acts, which is the testament of the new church. Demas, sadly, it says in 2 Timothy that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Whether it was the trials that had come, that Demas was like, man, this isn't worth it. I'm just going to get what I can while I can, while I'm still here. Whatever it was, Demas forsook the purpose of God for his life, for the passing pleasures of this world. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now scholars are split. They say 
the epistle of the Laodiceans is lost. It's not in the canon. Some people believe that the, what we know to be Ephesians is the epistle that Paul is talking about because some manuscripts of the book of Ephesians, when it says to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus is not there. So people, and, and based on the context of Ephesians, it being a general letter and not specific to any church, like most of Paul's letters are very clearly written to a specific issue in the church. They say maybe the epistle to the Laodiceans is what we know to be Ephesians. Maybe. It would make sense in that a lot of Colossians and Ephesians overlap. So when he's saying, you read this and you get the letter from them and read it, it's all going to tie together. It's going to make sense. You know, I mean, it's not a huge deal, but just interesting to think about. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So he's encouraging this young Archippus. Archippus is what most people believe Philemon's son. We see him in the book of Philemon. He says, you know, greet Archippus, fellow soldier in Christ. And he's encouraging Archippus. Maybe he was allowing the trials and the fact that Paul was in jail to affect his uh, his uh, submission to God's purpose in his own life. He was saying, take heed that you fulfill God's purpose in your life. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. The book of Colossians has got a lot here. And, we, you know, we couldn't even we couldn't even get it in eight weeks, I don't think. You could continue to read it. But I encourage you to read the book of Philemon. Uh, it it kind of ties a lot, very well into this book. But I will just encourage you, um, understand that God's purpose in your life, it may not always bring birthday cakes and puppies, like I said, but know and trust by God's word and by the spirit that lives in you testifying of God's word that it is for your good. From God's perspective, what's good for you, what's best for you. And not just you, but the people you're going to come in contact with, the people that you're going to lead to Christ. That's what God is doing in your life. Whether you're in prison because of your faith, whether you're in, in bondage because of something else or people's perception of you, whatever it may be. Remember, God's purpose overrides my personal preference. And we should be glad because we are called. The very fact that we're called and predestined to be in the image of Jesus Christ is because it was a part of God's purpose. One last verse, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be done so that you guys can drive home in the dark. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just, I'm just going to tell you, go home and read the whole New Testament again, because amazingly, this stuff just pops up everywhere. Sorry, I'm, I'm using my bigger Bible tonight, so it takes a lot more page turns to get to where I want to be. In Him... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Let me go back. Um, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Listen to this. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. It's all about Him. The very fact that we are called to obtain an inheritance is because of God's purpose. So we ask the Lord and we say, Lord, allow your spirit to give me the faith and the courage to never doubt your purpose in my life. Because it may be that what I see as a closed door is a door that's only waiting to be opened for the furtherance of the gospel in my life. And that is the purpose that you have for me. So reveal it to me, Lord. Thank you.